It is really good to see actual faces here today. Your faces, welcome. Welcome to the kids. Welcome if you're a first timer. Welcome to those of you online. Good to have you. Of course, we're going to continue to do this online as we always have every week. But if you want to be here in person, there's not a whole lot of us here. Plenty of room to spread out. You can go on our website today after 1 o'clock and sign up to be here next weekend. And as you heard Mark say, in two weeks we're going to be opening our Allen Park location as well. So we know this is all kind of weird and awkward. We're in a touch-free environment. Nobody's hugging or handshaking. We wish we could. We want to. Um, but, you know, we're, we're trying to make this a safe environment. Which it's about the community. We want to show that we care. We're practicing the social distancing thing. Uh, and I know the face mask thing is weird, too. I mean, we've got the government guidelines have been confusing, inconsistent, overbearing at times. I went into a couple stores this week. One store, everybody was wearing masks. Another store, nobody was wearing masks. Got to go to a restaurant and sit down for the first time in months. And that's the kind of thing we're doing here is wearing masks just out in the lobby until you get seated in here. And so everybody can suck it up and wear a mask for a couple minutes out in the lobby, right, to show our concern for one another. Um, and it, we're not going to be judgmental about whether you wear a mask or not because, you know, if you wear a mask and you see other people not wearing masks, don't judge them like, oh, they don't care about people. There, there could be a medical reason for that or other concerns that they have. Or if you uh, wear a or don't wear a mask, you look at those who are and you judge them. Oh, they don't have faith. It may be, again, medical conditions or they have other good reasons for doing it. And then I was reminded by somebody with allergies. Like, if you hear me coughing or sniffling, don't start running away and panicking. Okay, it's, uh, it's all right. We're going to make it through this first phase together. And as we go along, we're going to have more and more people joining us. And so we're going to make the best of this. Let's talk today about another one of those key principles, these essentials for Christian living. And whether you're a Christian or not, this is one that we all have to deal with. How to distinguish good and evil. Because we, we look around and we say, well, it's an evil world. There's evil people in it. I don't care who you are. You have some standard for what is evil. You say, well, a serial killer or a, um, a terrorist or a pedophile trafficker, a slave trader, a mass murderer like Mao Zedong, Stalin, Hitler. Those are evil people. Which means you've got to admit the existence of God. If you admit there's evil then there has to be a God. Because how else can you determine what's good or what's evil? I mean, otherwise we can just all make it up whatever we want. It's just very relative and situational and it's subjective. So look, you need to hear this today because it's foundational to the way you live your life every day to determine what's good and what's evil. And really, we believe it determines your eternity as well. Now, we know that atheists will complain. They'll, say, they'll, they'll claim that, look... There is so much evil and injustice in the world that there can't be a God. Which you think about it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, but where do you even get the idea of evil and injustice? You have to have some standard you're looking toward to determine that. It's like the, the great British scholar C.S. Lewis, who himself was an atheist. Until he became a Christian, he said, I began to understand a man doesn't call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. Where do you get the idea of a straight line? Well, that comes from God. That's how we measure objectively if something is crooked. Otherwise, we're just all making it up. Look, if we're all just nothing more than evolved animals, 
then we wouldn't even be bothering thinking about something being good or bad. It just is. Whatever is, is. Right? Unless there's some outside, transcendent, objective source of morality, you're just free to make it up, whatever you think, right? So what's evil to you may not be evil to me. And what's good to me may not be good to you. I mean, that's what Hitler would say, right? Who's to say what's good and evil unless there is a God? And look, we wouldn't even be considering the idea of morality if God had not put within us this intrinsic, hardwired thing called a conscience that helps us to figure out good from bad. But even our consciences are, are messed up. They're corrupted. We don't have a good moral compass. So you might say, all right, well, I'll see that if there's evil in the world. All right, so there's a God. But if there's a good God, if he's all-powerful and all-good, why doesn't he why doesn't he just get rid of evil? Yeah. Okay. Where do you want him to start? With you? Well, I'm not evil. Of course you are. <laughs> Nobody thinks they're evil. But we've all got it within us. It's just we find ways to downplay it, to rationalize it, to justify it. Well, what I did wasn't really wrong. In fact, everybody's doing it. It's not really my fault. What's wrong with the world today? I am and you are and every one of us is what's wrong with the world today people are capable of great good but they're also capable of great evil and that's why we need outside forces to restrain evil in this world that's why we need laws and police and military and judges to prevent and protect us from evil and to punish evil. Otherwise, it is absolute anarchy. And yet here we are in this time when people can't even figure out right from wrong anymore. Our, our worldview, our morals are so upside down and messed up that we've gotten to a place now where what used to be wrong, people now accept. And then once they accept it, they began to affirm it and treat it like it's a respectable thing, then they begin to practice it and promote it and then finally persecute those who disagree. That's how upside down we are now. That we, we can't even grasp what's right and wrong anymore. We can't even see the obvious. We begin to condone what God says is bad and condemn what God says is good. Isn't that true? But there's nothing new about it. That's been going on since time began. You go back 2,700 years to the time of Isaiah. Look what he said about people back then. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We're right there, aren't we? Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Nothing new. And so we got to go back to the very beginning to look at the origins of good and evil. Where do they come from? And we know that goodness comes from God. In fact, God is the standard. He is the straight line. He is the very embodiment of goodness, which means goodness is eternal. It's always been. It always will be. But evil is a little bit more mysterious. We don't know the origin of evil other than we know it had to have had a beginning because it's not inherent in the nature of God. God is an evil, so someplace it started, and we trust someplace it's going to end. The Bible gives us some insight into it, we believe, when it talks about these creations, these creatures called angels. That God created these free will beings who could choose either to be like him or to rebel against him. Angels are nothing like what we 
imagine in our popular culture where there are these flowing long-haired women on top of Christmas trees or the cute little chubby cheek winged you know, babies on Valentine's Day. Angels and these fallen angels who have rebelled against God are very real. They're very active and alive in our world today. They are powerful, but they're not to be worshipped and they're not to be laughed at. And I can't give all the background on angels and demons right now, but I know that God has created these beings we, that we see throughout Scripture, that they are, they're not divine and they're not human. There's something other, and while they sometimes appear in human form, that seems to be the exception. More often they are involved in our world in unseen ways. The human eye doesn't see their involvement. And yet there are multitudes of them, both in the heavenly realms and here around us. And some of those who have, who have sinned against God, rebelled against Him, they're the ones who have been cast out of heaven. And though it's a mystery, again, how that fall happened, it, it seems to be that it happened before Adam and Eve, before humanity, because they were involved, specifically one of them, was involved in the downfall of humanity in the paradise of Eden. Now those angels who are still with God, they worship him. They do his will. They declare his word. They sometimes execute his justice. They uh, will be messengers, servants. Sometimes they minister to Jesus at key points. And they minister to us at certain times, even though we may not be aware of it. Now, I, I will say some people get really obsessed with angels and demons. You know anybody like that? So, uh, they're, all, they're always seeing them. They're, they're always thinking that, that they're right there. And Guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold a little bit of healthy skepticism because just because everybody, you know, somebody says they saw something doesn't necessarily mean they saw it. We don't have to be looking for an angel around every corner or a demon under any, every rock. But make no mistake, they are here. They're, they're very much involved in our world. What do, we, what do the demons do? We know what the angels do. Demons, we don't, we don't know as much other than they're out to rebel against God still to this very day. And since they can't get to God and overthrow him, they go after these other free will creatures called humans, these beloved creatures of God made in his image, and try to bring us down to join them in their rebellion. And so the Apostle Paul warns us in Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Devil seems to be preeminent, the leader of these guys. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against these rulers, against authorities, against the powers of what? This dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now some people think of evil only in terms of it's very, something very overt and obvious and demon possession, you know. But more often, that's, that's, that's the exception. Demons operate on a much sneakier level very subtle, under the radar, and we tend to invite their influence by our behavior. So we ask, why does God even allow evil to exist in his world? If God is good and all-powerful, why is there evil? And I've got some reasons for it. Number one, because God allows it. God allows evil to exist. Now, yes, he is all-powerful, but that, that just means that Evil couldn't exist unless he allowed it. He made a world 
where it could exist. And the, the key word there is could. He didn't make the world evil. He didn't make humanity evil. He made it with the potential to be evil. He created us with free will and all that comes with it, the possibilities of inviting evil into this world. He gave Adam and Eve a choice. He gives you and me a choice. And we experience the effects of those choices. Now, the world itself, when Adam and Eve sinned, evil was introduced and the world, not the planet, but the world itself became evil, a dark world because of the, the principles and the systems of this world are under the influence of demons, of evil. And look, we're given the same option every day like Adam and Eve to choose to love God or to love this world and to experience the effects of that. God could overrule our free will, but he chooses to honor it and let us make those choices. And that means sometimes painful consequences. Sometimes we suffer unjustly. Isn't that true? Because of other people's evil choices either personally against us or just indirectly. That's life on a fallen planet. Sometimes, though, we suffer justly because of our own choices. We bring it on ourselves. But the good news is that's not the way it will always be. God has already set in motion a plan to eliminate evil when he sent his son. Look at Colossians 2.15. The Apostle Paul talks about having disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's why he sent his son, to defeat evil. And while these demons want us to join them in that rebellion and take us to hell, we understand they've already been defeated. The victory is already secured. All they're doing now is they're fighting back as part of a ter terrorist guerrilla warfare to try and still take as many of us with them as they can on their way down. His promise, though, is that he's going to do away with evil forever. It's just a matter of time. And the only reason that he waits to wipe away evil is because he's patient and he wants as many people to come to salvation as possible. That's why he's waiting. Maybe he's waiting for you to make the choice to follow him. And it's when Jesus comes back that all the evil is swept away. That's when we'll understand. That's when our questions will be answered. That's when justice will be done. That's when good will finally triumph and God will make all things right. It's coming. Could be today, maybe a long time. We don't know. Until then, the only solution for us is to trust God. That he's in control. He's got a plan. We don't understand it all. But we believe that he has compassion on us. That he has said, I will go with you through this dark world. Don't worry. I'm with you. And the second reason why evil exists in this world today is because we talked about this guy. Because Satan influences evil. Who is Satan? The word Satan means adversary. He's God's adversary. He's our adversary. He seems to be the, the, the boss, if you will, of these fallen angels. He's a real thing. He's not just some metaphorical, symbolic personification of evil. He's an actual being created by God. He seems to be the one that introduced evil into this world when he came in the form of a serpent to tempt Eve to join him in his rebellion against God. 
And so he's called the devil, the accuser, the wicked one, the father of lies, a murderer, the dragon. And so the apostle Peter warns us, be self-controlled and alert because your enemy, not just God's enemy, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But don't fear him. It's okay. He's a limited creature. He's not all-powerful. He can't be everywhere. He's, he's limited. He can only be in one place at one time with so many people, which means, good for, good for us, we're small potatoes. He's probably not going to mess directly with you and me because he's, he's dealing with more important influential people than us. But through his demonic army, he's able to extend his influence to everyone. So his main weapon against us is what? It's temptation. Temptation, that's what he used against Jesus in the wilderness. But Jesus prevailed against that temptation. He didn't give in. And he appealed to Jesus' pride, didn't he? That's the root of all temptation is pride. To want to be God. Which seems to be why he staged a rebellion against God in the first place. His own pride. Here he was, imagine this angel in the presence of this glorious God thinking, oh, this is the most incredible, amazing, invincible, supreme deity, ruler of all the universe. I want to be like him. In fact, I think I can take him. Ridiculous, right? But isn't that what we do whenever we rebel against God? We're thinking, I, I, I can be my own God. I'll do what I want to do. It's the root of pride, and that's basically how he tempted Eve. Eat this forbidden fruit, you'll be like God. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. And that's all the devil can do is he takes what God creates that is good and he twists it and distorts it and makes it into something bad. And when we give in to those temptations, we become bad. Yeah, evil. Because it, it sets in motion a process that begins to corrupt us, to harden our heart, to sear our conscience to spiritually blind us to what's good and right and true. And so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, the God, small g, God, because he thinks he's God of this world, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. This world is under the influence of this evil one. Now God, capital G, is still God, but he's given the devil, this limited influence and power, and he's only able to blind us as we choose darkness over light. The devil is on a leash. He can only go so far. I mean, it's a long leash, which is still troubling because we're thinking, oh man, God is still allowing this evil to go on. I don't like that. But it's also comforting to realize he is on a leash. He can't go beyond what God has said. He, we can't even begin to imagine all the evil that God is restraining and preventing from happening to us, all the suffering that could be happening to us every single day. And the devil cannot tempt us beyond what we can bear. So good news is he cannot prevent us from coming to faith in Christ if we want to, if we choose to. And there's a third reason why there's evil in this world, because we choose evil. There it is. I mean, if we want to point a finger at anybody, don't point it at God. Don't even point it at the devil. Point it, first of all, at our original ancestors, our parents, Adam and Eve. They chose to introduce evil into this world. God could have made a world 
where people could not choose sin. That's true. But what kind of world is that? What kind of a person are you if you have no choice? What kind of relationship can you have with God if you can't choose him, to love him? You would be robbed of any opportunity to love because you can't force somebody to love you. So that means God gives us the opportunity every day to say yes or to say no to him, to do right or to do wrong. The evil choice is to reject and rebel against God, and that leads to all other kinds of evil. So what I'm saying is, okay, go ahead. We'll point our fingers at Adam and Eve, but three more are pointing back at me because I make the same stupid decision, the same awful decision they make every day. Paul struggled with this too, the great apostle. Romans 7, he says, when I want to do good, and we all want to do good, right? Evil is right there with me. So we've got to admit this, confess it, that yes, there is evil in me too. Evil is not just something out there, those other people. It's not just what Hitler did. It's not what Osama bin Laden perpetrated. It's in all of us. How many sins did it take to separate Adam and Eve from God? How many? One. I've committed way more than one sin in my life. Probably already today. We fall short every day. And the cure for this, for every single person, is not to try and make up for what you've done. To try to be a better person. You need to be a whole different person. You need to have a heart transplant. You need to be remade, reborn. That's why Jesus came. To give us a new heart, a new life. Only he can give us the forgiveness for all the wrongs that we've ever done. Only he can give us help to actually change. Only he can give us hope that we will, we will have that paradise restored. Galatians 1, Paul says, He, Christ, gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. So listen. When we make the choice to follow him, he begins to show us more clearly every day what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad. How does he do that? He tells us in his word. That's why it's so important that you fill your mind with the word of God because it becomes the grid through which we filter every single decision. What does God say about something? I'm not going to take my cues from my corrupted conscience or from this upside-down, mixed-up world I want to know what God says. And not only do I have the Holy Bible, I have the Holy Spirit within me that empowers me to actually do what God says, to do good. He empowers us to say no to sin. You can't do that without God's Spirit. Last week we talked about how to handle temptation. Next week we're going to talk about how to handle trials. Because those temptations are meant to bring us down and to make us more like the devil. Trials are meant to help us to become more like Christ. So look, I want you to know that you are victorious over evil in Christ. And I just want to flood you with a little bit of Scripture right now to encourage you that you would have the mindset of a conqueror, that you are an overcomer. Because of Christ, you can overcome this world. 1 John 5, 4, because everyone who has been born from God has won what? The victory over the world. Our faith is what wins the victory over the world. We're in this battle. Yeah, it's tough, but the battle's already won. That means we can overcome the devil. 
James 4, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist him. That's how Jesus won the victory in the wilderness. He resisted the devil. How? By quoting the word of God. Know what God says, what's right and wrong, and you can put the devil on the run. Be confident in the Lord's prayer that he will lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Ephesians, remember, says put on that full armor of God. That means you better not go into the battlefield wearing your pajamas. You better suit up with the righteousness of Christ covering you, with the readiness of the gospel to share your faith, the, the, the word of God, prayer, salvation. Let all of that cover you. And be confident in the Spirit's presence. Because you, dear children, John says, are from God and have overcome the world because, I love this, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I love, th think of that. He who is in you, God, the Lord, the Holy Spirit is in you and he is greater in you than the one, the enemy, any force, any, any pressure, any influence from the world. You've got a greater power. So be confident in the Lord's promise. Get this, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. And more than that, Romans says, the God of peace. <laughs> this doesn't sound very peaceful. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We have peace with God. The devil does not. He's got trouble coming. So the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Look, we know this world is messed up. We know it, it's, it's, the world is in desperate need right now, and it, it's, it doesn't even know how to think right, let alone act right. And, and it's in tumult, and all these voices are calling out for us to join them in the self-indulgence, in the lust, in the sexual anarchy, the family dissolution, the, the, the debauchery and the drunkenness, and uh, the, the division and the hate and the vengeance and the violence, and the envy, and greed, and theft, and the, the, the occultism, and the idolatry. But we're not going to go along with that. We're not going to bow down to any of that. We're not going to buckle under to that pressure, because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We're going to do instead what Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's why it's our big idea, and you need to know that. Let's say it out loud together, whether you're here or you're watching at home. Let's say it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's how we fight the battle. We're just going to continue to choose what's good, to stand up for what's right, to practice what's moral, and to love God and to love people. That's how we win. When you choose Jesus, you have victory. Will you choose to trust him as your Savior and your Lord? Will you repent and turn away from your evil ways, renounce the devil and all his works? Will you choose to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit? If you'd like to do that, if you have any decision to make for Christ, I'm going to invite you to text that number 734 304-7248 or email next at southpointccc.com and somebody's going to be there to pray with you, to answer your questions, to help you take your next step. If you're here on site, you're welcome after the service to go out to any of those rooms in the hall, A, B, C, or D, and meet with somebody who would love to help you 
in your spiritual journey. Let's pray together. Father, this world is so messed up, full of evil. It's a hopeless world and it needs you desperately because you are good and you are greater. So help us to continue overcoming evil with good until the day that you return Jesus to make all things right. God, thank you for first defeating evil at the, at the cross when Jesus, you came to die for the sins of the world, for my sins, and you've given me victory over my enemies, the devil, death, sin, hell, and you've given me power in this spiritual warfare to overcome evil. If you're somebody who needs to put your trust in Christ for the first time, would you just confess it and say, Lord, I, I've, I've sinned against you. I, I know it. I admit it. I've reached for that forbidden fruit over and over, and I've committed evil. I've done harm. And so I'm asking you to change my heart, God. I choose to trust in you. I want to give my heart to Jesus today. And, and I want to make the angels rejoice because, Jesus, you said that whenever one sinner comes back to you, that uh, there's much rejoicing in the presence of the angels. So we want there to be a party in heaven today. We're praying that in Jesus' name. Amen.